Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning we're beginning a new sermon series that I'm entitling Health Check. And uh, I guess if you want to consider the subtitle, Evaluating Our Spiritual Condition. And I wanted to introduce the series and the message this morning by giving a couple of stories. The first of which was when I was in high school, uh, I took a health class. And in health class, they talk about a lot of different things, you know, and, uh, you know, diet and exercise, you know, that kind of stuff, the usual. Um, but one of the days the teacher was introducing uh, this um, idea of regarding health of your body fat percentage. And uh, he was talking about how uh, there's different methods of calculating it. And uh, it was kind of interesting. He said, um, you know, there's a couple of parts on your body where they, they take these measurements and they measure like how much, uh, how uh, thick it is in those areas. Like they take the back of your arm and they'll measure that and they'll kind of pinch that little area and then the back of your calf. And I think there's one other area. I don't remember exactly. But it's like a rough way of estimating how much of your body weight is fat. And uh, obviously, once you get too high, it becomes unhealthy and things like that. But I remember distinctly that our teacher uh, was talking about how this number can be deceptive in terms of when you look at a person and when you see the number, it doesn't always look the same. And he was showing us different pictures of different people. And one of the pictures that came up was this huge guy. I mean, he looked like a football player that was like an offensive lineman, you know, really tall, really big, you know, and, uh, but, you know, not like, you know, muscular where it's all muscles and all defined, you know, just a really big, tall guy. And, uh, you know, we were thinking, ah, you know, his, his body fat percentage must be pretty high. I mean, look at that, you know, it can't all be muscle, you know. And uh, lo and behold, his number was, I think, in the low 20s or something, you know, and uh, which is, I think, is a, a, a reasonable range, you know, maybe a little bit high. And then they showed a picture of this, uh, this lady, this short, thin, petite lady. And uh, what do you think it was? And uh, we were like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's got to be lower than, the, you know, the 20 or whatever of the guy. And uh, the teacher shocked us by saying, well, her body fat percentage was actually over 30. And uh, we were like, no way. Like, how is that possible? And he was saying, well, it's just because sometimes, you know, it can be, it can hide in different places. And, you know, not all of it is muscle. You might have a lot of muscle and fat and, and it, it can be all, all over the place. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, I really didn't think about it like that. You know, you just look at somebody and think, oh, yeah, they must be, you know, they, they must be pretty fit. They, they look pretty good. But sometimes health can be a little deceiving in terms of appearance is not everything. About the same time, there was a family in our church and uh, there was uh, the mom and the dad, and there were five kids, three daughters and two sons. And uh, one of their kids was the same age as me. And one of the kids was actually a year older than me. And so we were in the youth group together. We did all the activities together. We went to youth camp together. We would hang out at church together. We were in the same class together. We would sing in the youth choir together. And uh, we would do all the different activities together. And uh, great family, great spirit. 
you know, they were a lot of fun to be around. And, uh, you know, they were there all the time, every service, every activity, they were there all the time. And uh, one of the days, I remember the family was there, but the mom was not there, which was highly unusual. I don't ever remember this ever happening. And so everybody noticed it right away. Oh, your family's here. Everybody's here, but the mom. This has never happened. Is your mom okay? Is she okay? And they said, oh, you know, she's, uh, she's pretty sick and, uh, you know, pretty, you know, more sick than usual. And so, you know, she, she felt like she should stay home. And we're like, oh, okay, that's too bad. Well, we'll be praying for your mom. The next week comes by, the next Sunday. The mom is still not there. You know, wow, this must be really serious. And so, you know, everybody's asking. And uh, she had, it, her health had gotten worse and she went to the hospital. And uh, the kids were saying, well, you know, the doctors think it might be pneumonia or this and that. And so we we're like, oh, wow, that's pretty serious. You know, we'll be praying. I think it was that Wednesday, but it might have been the next Sunday. On Wednesday nights, we had our prayer services. You know, people would give their prayer requests. We would all pray together at the end of the service, things like that. I think it was that Wednesday. It came out that their mom had cancer. And within a month, she had passed away. And I remember thinking, what just happened? I mean, it was just six, seven, eight weeks ago she was with us and she was there and everything seemed fine and everything seemed normal and everything seemed great and just like usual. And then she got sick and then sicker. And then now she, and I remember thinking, what just happened? It drives home the point that it's important to check our spiritual condition on a regular basis. And so this is this series, Health Check, is our opportunity to get a health check. And uh, that's what our church services are about. It's been said that the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. We're here at the church service because we need help. Amen? Yeah. We need help. That's why we're here. You have something in your life? You're thinking, man, there's a, there's a problem in my life. There's, there's something in my heart. There's, there's something going on. You came to the right place. Because Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Hey, if you're perfect, I can't help you. Our church can't help you. But if you have a need in your life, then you come to the right place. Not because I'm going to be able to really do something for you, but the Lord can do something for you. Every Christian struggles with things in their life. Every Christian has something that they're dealing with. Temptations, sins, obedience to the word of God, relationships, dealing with finances, emotions, all sorts of different things. And while we are here on earth, while we have this body of this flesh, we will constantly be dealing with these things. Even after salvation, this is how the Apostle Paul discussed his personal Christian life. In Romans chapter 7, verse number 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, 
that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. He says, I know what I want to do. I want to do the right thing, but I still struggle to do the right thing all the time. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Do you see the struggle that Paul is describing here? He's describing the struggle of, I want to do right, but I struggle to do right all the time. You been there? I'm there. So every day, every week, every month, and every year. That's one of the reasons why I'm glad for church services. We're not here because we're perfect. We're here because we're not perfect, but because also we want to be more like Christ. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but I hope that your desire here is, I do want to be more like Christ. So becoming more like Christ, we're going to go to the great physician, get a health check, go to the spiritual hospital, if you will, and I don't know the relationship that you have with your, you know, your primary care physician. Some people ignore the doctor. Some people avoid the doctor. But the great physician of Jesus Christ is not one that you want to ignore or avoid. It's one that we should come to, one that we should run to. So through the course of this series, we're going to do a health check. And I hope that this will be a help to you. These are just some questions things to think about between you and the Lord, just to think about, all right, how am I doing? Am I healthy spiritually? So here's the first spiritual health check. Check your appetites. Check your appetites. How can we evaluate our spiritual condition? Ask the question, what are you hungry for in life? What are you hungry for? What are you seeking after? What are you driving after? Now, of course, as, as people who are sitting in the room, I'm sure that we all know that the answer is, we should hunger for God. We should hunger for God. But the big question is, how do I get hungry for God if I'm not already hungry for God? All right, my wife and I are uh, very different people when it comes to food, and uh, you see the difference when you answer the question that my wife loves to ask, which is, do you eat to live or do you live to eat? All right, do you eat to live or do you live to eat? Another way of putting it is our meals is food like going to the gas station to fill up in order to get to your destination? Or is food the destination? 
right? You're doing all of the stuff just to get to lunch, and get to a great meal and to dinner and enjoy. And, you know, when you go on vacation, do you plan out the meals based on where you're going to go? I want to go to this place. I want to go to that place. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And then we'll figure out a place to eat in between. Or are you thinking about, oh, these are all the places I want to eat. Is there something else we could do nearby while we're waiting for food, you know? And uh, there's a very different way of approaching things. And, you know, my wife and I, uh, we, uh, before we moved here to California, we lived in New Jersey. And uh, before we had kids on one of the dates, uh, we went up to New York City and we did our coffee tour. And uh, so we went to New York City and we walked around here and there. And the only destinations on our list were five different coffee shops. We went to one coffee shop, we ordered something, and then we went to another coffee shop, we got another cup of coffee, we shared these cups of coffees, you know, it's not like we're drinking 25 cups in a day, you know, but we, you know, that was the whole purpose while we went up there, you know, and uh, just to enjoy the time together, uh, but that was kind of the destination. And uh, my wife has uh, food cravings, right? She craves different kinds of foods. I do not have food cravings, really. You know, my wife will often ask the question, what do you want for dinner? What do you want to eat? You know, what are you thinking? And most of the time, I don't know what to say because I don't really crave something. But if you ask my wife, she'll have an answer for you. It feels like every time, you know, oh, I'm really craving spicy food. I want seafood. Or I remember this dish. We went to that restaurant. Can we go there? Can we do something like that? You know, and, you know, she's got these cravings, but I, I don't have that. I'll think about meals that I loved and I enjoyed, and I think, oh, yeah, that would be really nice if we went there. But I'm not craving it. I don't crave certain kinds of food, certain kinds of foods or things like that. I don't have it. I don't know why I don't have it. And I don't know my, why my wife does have it, but I don't. I don't crave or hunger for those things. But sometimes when we talk about spiritual things and we talk about spiritual hunger, we think, I just don't have it. I don't know why I don't have it. I just don't have it. And they leave it at that. But believers should be hungry for God. We should all be hungry for God. Now, before we get to the hunger part for believers, I want to address those of you here today that might be lost. There's somebody here today, you're lost. You're not saved. You have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. Your sins have not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The first step that you need to take is to trust in Christ as your Savior. In John chapter number three, Jesus has a discussion with a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader. He knew the Bible. He knew the scriptures. He knew God and uh, what, what the Bible said about, uh, about God and all of these things. And Jesus gave him this word, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, what in the world does that mean? Be born again? I was born once. How am I born again? And Jesus said, no, 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 you're misunderstanding that. You were born physically once, just like everybody else, but you must be born again, born spiritually, right? Because dead people don't have hunger. Living people do. So you must be born again. 
John chapter 6, verse 35 says, And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So that's the first step. If you're not saved here today, you must be saved. You must be born again. And then we can deal with the hunger issue. But what if you are saved and you've tasted of the Lord, but you're still not hungry? You're just not that hungry for the Lord. You're, not just, you're just not that hungry for the Bible. You're just not that hungry to go to prayer. You're not that hungry to follow the commands of God. What do you do? It seems like a chicken and egg issue, right? How can I grow in hunger for God if I'm not hungry for God, right? How, can, how, how do we develop this? Well, I want to take a few verses and learn how we can develop a hunger for God if we're not already hungry for God. Number one, recognize your need. When we live in the world of wants and not needs, we will lack hunger for God. Now, usually when we think about needs, we often think about material needs. We think about, I need food. I need a home, I need a car, I need new clothes, I need gas money, I need these things. But then people who maybe you got a great job, you work really hard, you know, you're able to have some success in, in the workplace and, and you're able to rise above that, it's easy to think I am rich and in need of nothing. That was a problem with the church of uh, Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You know what the issue with this church was? They felt like we don't need anything. There are wants that we have, but no needs. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We must have a need if we will hunger for God. Luke chapter 12 gives us this parable that Jesus gives about the rich man. And he's, so, he's done so well this year, he doesn't know what to do with all of his goods. He's a farmer, so he says, you know what? I can't even fit everything in my barns. I'm going to tear down my barns, build up bigger barns. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink. And be merry. I have no more need for anything. I have enough. I don't even need to work. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When a believer gets to the point where they think, I don't need God, you will lack hunger for God. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is running from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. Saul is the king of Israel. David was a faithful servant of Saul. Saul is uh, far from the Lord. He has rejected the Lord. He's rejected the word of the Lord. 
and he's uh, separated from God. He's lacking the presence of God, lacks the power of God. David has been anointed to be the next king. God is with David. There's a big conflict there, and Saul wants to kill David. So David is thinking, well, I'm an Israelite. My uh, Saul, who's the king of Israel, is trying to kill me. Where do I go? And so he goes to the next country over. He goes to the country, the land of the Philistines. And he ends up in the city of Gath. Now, if you know your Bibles, you'll know that the, Gath, the city of Gath is a very well-known city because of somebody that came out of that city. Specifically, Goliath of Gath. Remember Goliath? Remember the giant that David slew? And David is now in the hometown of Goliath. Imagine killing the hero of the hometown and then showing up in town later. <laughs> uh, probably not a good situation. And so David shows up there and they bring him to the king. And the king is like looking at him and everybody's like, isn't that David? I mean, isn't this the one that didn't he kill our hero, Goliath? And isn't he the one that people in Israel were singing about? And David is thinking, what am I doing? Why am I here? What have I done? And he begins to act like a crazy man because he must be thinking, I must be crazy to even be here. So he acts like a crazy man and, he, and he's allowed to leave. The Bible says in Psalm 34, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, and he drove him away and he departed. Here is David, and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You know what David is saying here? I had a need. I was in trouble. I was dead. And I asked God for help because I needed help. And when you need help, like David needed help, you'll be hungry for God. When you need something that badly, you'll be hungry for God. You know why often we don't have needs like that? We fill ourselves with other stuff. You know, sometimes my kids will ask for snacks and I'm the mean parent who almost always says, no. <laughs> Can I have a snack? No, not right now. You know, no, you can't have a snack. Sometimes though, I'll, I'll give them a snack. You know? Oh yeah, if you're hungry, have a snack. And uh, sometimes I'm not thinking and I'm just thinking, oh yeah, they're really hungry. They're starving, you know, they're starving. You know, oh, okay, sure, have a snack. And then uh, I wasn't careful to look at the clock. Because sometimes the reason why they're hungry and asking for a snack is because it's like 5 o'clock in the evening. And it's almost dinner time. And what I should do is make them wait for dinner. But I wasn't thinking and I wasn't looking. And so they filled themselves up on the snack. And then my wife spends all of this time and effort cooking and making food and putting it on the table. And they, the kids set the table and everybody sits there. And then our kids are just playing with the food. They're not really eating the food. I'm like, why aren't you eating the food? Oh, yeah, because I gave you a snack right before this. You're not 
hungry. They weren't hungry. Jesus gives this parable of the sower and the seed. A farmer goes out to his field. Now we have John Deere tractors, but back in the day, you had to do it by hand. You had to literally carry these sacks of, of the seeds of whatever it was you were planting in the field, and you would literally grab a handful and just throw it into the field. That's how you sowed uh, the field as a farmer. And Jesus gives a parable, and the seed would just land in different places. Now you've got machines that will drill in and plant the seed and then cover it up. You know, it's very precise, you know. Uh, but back then, you would just cast it everywhere. Sometimes it would land on the walkways. It was packed down ground. Sometimes it was rocky soil. And, and uh, there's one kind of soil, though, which the Bible describes as thorny soil. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. What the Bible describes is these seeds that could grow and produce great fruit were choked because they filled themselves up with other things, the cares of the world, the riches of the world, and the pleasures of this life, choking it so that it did not have the hunger for the Lord and go to the Lord for strength and for fruit. Now, let's bring this personally if we're going to hunger for God, we've got to have a need, a desperate need in our lives. Let's, let's bring some personal aspects into our Christian life. Things that we know we should be or things that we know we should have. Let's think about things like holiness. Is holiness something that's just like, well, it'd be nice if I were holy? Or is holiness something I need holiness like I need food. When you start getting hungry, what do you do? It just drives you and it consumes you. And nothing else will satisfy until you get food, right? The same idea. How badly do you want the wisdom of God? Are these wants? Are these luxuries? I'll be nice to have. It's good for somebody else. Or is this something that you need in your life today. Let's talk about some other aspects. Think about the lost friend that you have. The one that's not saved. They're still in their sins. If they were to die, they would die in their sins having broken the law of God and there is condemnation upon their lives. Now, how do we view that friend? Is it just like, well, it would be nice if that friend were saved or do we have the attitude, I need my friend to be saved? You can't make them to be saved, of course, but what is the heart and the appetite and the mentality that we might have? What about your kids? Do you just want your kids to just be nice kids when they grow up, successful kids, making good money and, and having a nice life, living the American dream? Or do you need your kids to love God and to follow God and serve the Lord? There's a big difference that is there. When we settle from needs to wants, we no longer hunger for God. In Psalms 42, David is writing, and he writes, As the heart, or as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. How shall I come and appear before God? I imagine that you're a, a, a deer, you're watching a deer out in the, in the forest, and 
he's been running away from the wolves and, uh, you know, running for his life. And now he's thirsty and, you know, doesn't know exactly where he's at. He's just looking for water and looking for a stream, looking for a pond. And, you know, you can tell that he's tired because he's now panting. And, and uh, the longer he goes, the thirstier he gets and the more desperate he is looking for water. It becomes all consuming and he's willing to take risks that maybe he wouldn't take before. Maybe there's there's a little village and there's a home or something, you know, just kind of out there in the forest. And, and before you would never go close by, but he's so thirsty and maybe there's a, a big bucket that's been sitting out there. Rainwater's been filling up and maybe now he'd be willing to take that risk. And you can imagine this animal out in the forest and, and uh, panting after the water brooks. I think if you're here today and you have a heart for the Lord, whether or not you're there, you want to be there, right? You want to have the desire of, I want to want God. I hunger to hunger after God. But how can we get there? How do we get there? How did the psalmist get there? You know how he got there? Verse number three. Psalm 42, verse number three. My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You know what drove him to that place? He had a need. He had a need that had to be fulfilled, and until it was fulfilled, he was hungry for God. And what we need in our Christian life is to make those things that are in the Bible needs in our lives. I need to have a godly marriage. I need to raise my kids to... Uh, hear the gospel, Lord willing, that they would be saved and love the Lord and follow God. I need that in my life. David, the psalmist here, presumably David, he had a need in his life and that drove him to hunger for God. It wasn't good enough just to have a decent life. It wasn't good enough just to have his material needs taken care of. He had a need in his life and it drove him to hunger for God. It's been said a starving person has a single all-consuming passion for food and water. Nothing else has the slightest attraction or appeal, and nothing else can even get his attention. So being hungry for God begins with a need. What are those things in your life that you need? You need it, and you need it from God. Now, we don't only need to have a need. It needs to be paired with a faith in God. Rely on the Lord. Rely on the Lord. David was hungry for God because he had put his trust in God to take care of that need. You know why he was looking for God? Because he was saying, God, I have this need in my life. And I'm trusting that you will be the one to take care of this need and nothing else will work. Nothing else is good enough. And I'm waiting for you. That's what drove the hunger of David to God. David had a need, 
The psalmist had a need, and believers today, we have needs in our lives, whether it's personal holiness, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's children, whether it's parents, whether it's reaching people with the loss, whether it's you're leading a class, you're participating in a class, you're ministering in some sort of way, and you want to see something to happen, you want to see God to work, and you know that only God is the one that can make it work. That's going to drive you to be hungry for God. God, I need you here. God, you're the only one that can do it, and I'm putting my trust in you. I'm thirsty for God. I'm panting after the water brooks, and my soul is panting after thee, O God. Why? Because I have a need in my life, and nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will work. People who are hungry for God are those that have put their faith in God. People who are not hungry for God have not put their faith in God. If you're not waiting on God for anything, you're not going to be hungry for him. That makes sense. They're not trusting in God for the answers to their prayers. They must be hungry for the Lord. In World War II, the Allied forces are driving the, the Turkish soldiers out of the, the area of modern-day Israel, Palestine, that area. And they're driving them out, and they're driving them northward, past Beersheba. And, uh, you, know, if, you know, when you think about the army and the military, you should think about, you know, the soldiers at the front lines, you know, the infantrymen, maybe in the tanks or, you know, different things like that. But, you know, there's a lot of other things that go behind the scenes. There's a supply chain, a supply line that feeds and supplies all of the soldiers at the front line. Food, water, supplies, ammunition, weapons, things like that, you know? And, uh, but sometimes when you're just fighting out there, you just got to be the most effective. You get out there and they started pressing forward and more and more and more until they went too far and now the supply lines were too far behind them. They had no food, no water, and things like that. As they were getting farther and farther away, they were getting more and more dehydrated. There was no water. And so they knew... We've got to get to the next city, Shariah, by nightfall or people will die. And they pressed forward with all the strength that they had left, drove them out of the city, and they drank up all of the water. Imagine, so thirsty, if you didn't get a drink of water, you would die before the end of the day. How desperate you would be for water. There was a need. A need that nothing else would satisfy. A new iPhone does not satisfy that. A new house does not satisfy that. Watching a TV show doesn't satisfy that. You know what you need? You need water. And if you will be hungry for God, you need to have God to answer your prayer just as much as you need just a, a starving or a dehydrated person needs food and water. So if we're going to be hungry for God, we've got to think about these needs. We've got to think about these things, about people that we know that need to be saved, about a ministry that you participate in, about your church, about these relationships that you have. Are those simply, well, it would be nice if the church grew or do we feel like I need the church? The church needs to grow. There are people that need to be helped. There are lost that need to hear the gospel. 
And it's where we take those needs. Do we take the needs to other people? Do we take it and try to figure it out ourselves? Or do we take these needs to the Lord? That will drive us to be hungry for him. But then thirdly, we need to remain in faith. Don't stop trusting in God. The longer you go without food, the hungrier you will be. The longer you go without water, the thirstier you will become. It will be easy to try to solve your problems with different things in the, in the world, but don't quit trusting in God. That's how you grow in hunger. You grow in hunger when you have a need, you trust in the Lord, and you don't stop trusting in the Lord. And you just keep going to God and saying, God, there's a need here. I'm trusting in you. I'm waiting on you. I put my whole faith in you. I don't have a backup plan. I don't have any other things. I'm not going to try to figure it out myself. God, you need to come through. And it will drive you to the Lord. Thinking about God. God, where are you at? God, are you going to come? God, are you going to work? And we must continue in faith. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives a parable and he says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't quit trusting in God. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city and she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. So there's a judge in the city who doesn't care about right or wrong. He doesn't care about God in any way, but he's a judge. And there's a widow woman there in the city, and she obviously has a wrong done against her, and uh, she has no recourse. So she goes to the judge and says, Judge, you have to do something. And in verse number four, and he would not for a while. He's saying, I don't really care. I don't care about this woman. I don't care about right or wrong. And so he ignored her for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Imagine this judge going into work every day. Every day the widow woman is there. Every day the widow woman calls out, Judge, you got to help me. No, I already, I gave you my answer already. No, that's not good enough. You got to answer this. You got to do something about it. No, 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 I'm not going to do it. Imagine dealing with that every single day. Day. And then imagine at the end of the day, as he goes home, the widow woman is still there. Judge, you have to do something! And follows him home every day. Judge, you can't go before dealing with this. Imagine that every single day, the widow woman comes and appears. You can imagine after a while, he's like, you know what? I don't really even care about him. I just want you to stop bothering me. And so he takes care of the issue. You know what drove that widow woman to the judge? She had a need that only he could solve. And it drove her to him every day, all the time, never stopping. You know what the Bible says? And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. You know what Jesus wants? He wants us to be hungry for the Lord, for the things of God, for the working of God. You know how we can grow in hunger for God? We have to have needs 
in our lives that are desperate needs. And trusting that God is the only one that can take care of that. Putting our whole trust in Him and never stopping. If you do that, I believe that you'll have that same hunger. As the heart panteth for the water brooks, so my soul panteth after thee, O God.